0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 174 of Dial the Gate. My name is David Reed. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode. We have Anna Galvin uh, joining us from Stargate SG-1, Atlantis, and Universe. She is one of only a handful of artists who have uh, their face on all three of the series, so we're really grateful to have her joining us in this episode. Before we get started, if you enjoy Stargate, and you wanna see more content like this on YouTube, please click that like button. It helps make a difference with the YouTube algorithm and will continue to help the show grow its audience. Please also consider sharing this video with a Stargate friend. And if you wanna get notified about future episodes, click the subscribe icon. Giving the bell icon a click will notify you the moment a new video drops and you'll get my notifications of any last minute guest changes and clips from this live stream will be released over the course of the next few weeks on the Dial the Gate and GateWorld.net YouTube channels. As this is a live stream that we're bringing To you, we have uh, Anna uh, Galvin joining us live. So, if you are in the YouTube chat right now, you can submit questions uh, to her through the moderators, and then I will share them uh, in the second half of the show. And joining us from down under, Anna Galvin. Hi everyone. Hello. For having me on the show, David, it's a thrill. Absolutely. Talk about something that feels like a long time ago. It. I feel blessed to have been involved in all three of the series. It's a, how many of us are there? Uh, I think that there are technically 14, 15. It's not a large number if and um it shrinks even more if you don't include stunt personnel. It's um it's it's quite a uh, an elite crew. So Ooh. Yeah, it it's well, uh I feel blessed. <laughs> <laughs> And we're privileged to have you, absolutely. So you are uh, uh, East Coast in Australia? Yes, I'm in uh, I'm in Victoria, and I'm outside Melbourne right now, right near the coast on the peninsula. Beautiful, it's a gorgeous sunny day. We're surrounded by birds and chainsaws, actually. But I hope you can't. <laughs> I can't hear those. Yeah, it's good. I'm a big I just arrived. oh, you did. Are you going to be down there for a little bit?
1: still uh live and work in Vancouver too, but uh my daughter's at university here and we're gonna try and split my family's here. We'll try and split some more time here.
0: Okay. Very cool. That's great. I'm um really eager to talk about uh your um your body of work. How old were you when you knew that this was what you wanted to do for uh oh. for the rest of your life? Oh
1: gosh. I actually didn't know you were gonna ask questions like that. I was five, but I didn't have the. I remember distinctly when I first started thinking, this is for me. I think I was a pretty shy kid. I was a very tall uh, little girl that everyone thought was a boy. And I was, in any case, I felt quite self conscious and not particularly confident until I was in the first theatrical production I did, playing a doll in a toy shop on stage. And they turned on the stage lights, and I looked up into what even it wasn't an audience it was just a rehearsal and it felt like home so i harbored a dream for a long time but i didn't talk about it much i just did all the theater i could possibly do i fantasized about being on tv or in film um i didn't dare mention it to my parents much they i think they were nervous that i was going to follow that track and uh I was. I did two university degrees before I ran off to join uh, or to audition for the Oxford School of Drama and and prove to everyone this is where I'm meant to be. This is what makes me happy. This is what feels good.
0: Was there at it any still feels good at any point in uh, after you left? I, I'm curious about this, um, where you went against expectations, where you said, "Oh my God, I've made a mistake."
1: Oh my God! Of course. Yeah. But, well, to tell the truth, no, I, I kept procrastinating because I said <laughs> when I was – I went to London and I'd won two tickets overseas. Anyway, long, boring story. But once I was in <laughs> – once I'd uh, left drama school, I was in London, I thought i am giving myself two years. Okay. If I'm not in a movie within two years, I need to go and get um, what everyone else called a proper job but didn't feel like a proper job to me. It wasn't feeding me. Um, right. So uh, – and I did at drama school, I thought, I'm not going to do commercials. I'm not doing television. It's film and theater for me. And, of course, all I did was commercials. I made my bread and butter on commercials uh, when I first started out. I did a little bit of theater and did started doing television. And as Dennis Potter said, the golden era of television had just started in the 90s. And uh, I think I was very lucky and blessed to have started doing TV when I did. Wow. It, it is T V so exciting. It's so, it's so exciting what's happening out there. I don't think it was as exciting at the time in the nineties, but um there's so many opportunities and there's so much uh so much range of work and um yeah. I think, I we're, think we're in like the golden age of thinking, television
0: you know, okay. now. There's just we something I could That's be right. wrong, but I I the, the storytelling is is of such a caliber these days with shows like Yellowstone and and you know better call Saul, and a lot of these other and a lot of these other dramas and including science fiction as well with shows like the expanse which i have not seen yet but i hear everyone talking about um i think that this is a this is a real time to to jump on that train on Mm -hmm. all all different facets from production to just viewing so it's really cool yeah
1: exactly very very cool and uh yeah, so that's what, that's, and I do feel, I, once I moved to Canada, I did get back into theatre again too, which was, uh, it, that really feels like food for the soul, do, doing theatre. Theatre's electrifying, you have that visceral relationship with the audience, it's so immediate, there's no slacking off. Uh, that's no. the real work, whereas TV feels very comfortable to me. I don't feel, I don't remember, rarely would I feel unprepared or nervous It can be very frustrating because there's so many elements involved, but it can also be thrilling and so collaborative. Um, And theatre is just just a major haul and effort for everyone involved. And it's a labour of love because it doesn't pay. Um, But I feel blessed that I've had the opportunity to to do film, TV and theatre. And I think it's made me more well-rounded. And I think it's what led to... um, One of my favourite jobs was doing performance capture. And I think performance capture lends itself to theatrical actors who know how to work with a camera. It blends the two two disciplines very well.
0: Were you doing performance capture for for characters that you were creating or were you you assisting with other voice work for other performers and merging it together?
1: I played an orc on Warcraft.
0: Ah. And and that was
1: performance capture. Yeah. So they make a helmet that's that's scan, yep. digitally scanned to fit your head and you're in a elephantine onesie and little dots painted all over your face with GoPros pointed at you and pointed this way. And you you become uh, then they layer the the two the D character on top of you um post-production and it's it's quite extraordinary so you have to be rooted in something very genuine but theatrical at the same time I was playing a a, an orc so that's that's a massive character however I had to make it real and and on camera what's behind the eyes is more important than anything on stage gesture is is can be quite large but on camera you've got to be rooted in something so genuine and at the same time with performance capture you've got to be larger than life Right. So that, that was the most artistic, artistically satisfying job I've ever done. And working with Duncan Jones was amazing.
0: Wow. Absolutely
1: amazing. My favorite de- director of all time to work with.
0: Wow. Yeah. I, I watched the film asked, and it was an extraordinary I, watch. I'm sorry?
1: It wasn't what you asked. I don't know how I got to that. But just that's how, that's how acting, acting, I was five. When I when I first decided I want to do to get back to that it was a dream long long hearted long hearted dream.
0: I you kind of already answered this with Warcraft, but I'm I'm uh, let me take a little bit of a different tack. Is there is there a role, theatrical television film, that stretched you in ways that you were not expecting that that you kind of took away with you after the performance. It pushed you oh, in ways well, that you didn't sure, expect
1: for sure warcraft but then on uh on a more cerebral or cerebral level um some of the theater roles where you get to dwell theater you get to rehearse such a lengthy rehearsal period and to investigate your character uh, you would discover things about yourself which is interesting and on 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 in television there's often you sometimes you're only meeting or seeing the actors that you're working with if you haven't bumped into them in the makeup trailer you're seeing them on set as you do your block through then you're sent back to makeup hair and wardrobe and then you come back to shoot it and then after they've set up the lights and whatever you sometimes just walk through or rehearse once then you shoot it and if the director is happy and the producers are happy you may only do a couple of takes and then you do several setups for master shots, mid shots, close ups or the rest of it. So it can take all day to shoot one scene, but it's kind of more or less locked in at the walkthrough. And it's, you don't get to flesh it out as much as you would with, so sometimes that is the biggest challenge of all. Mm-hmm. And I have worked with um, actors, I w- worked with one actor who I won't mention because I'm a huge fan of his, but we spent all day on a scene um, in a different sci-fi series, not, not Stargate. Um, and at the, at the 11th hour when he got shot, his close-up was the last thing of all. He completely altered his performance. But we'd already done the Masters, the mid-shots. My close-up was locked in and done. And he gave so much more in his close-up. I realized, oh, my God, I could have given much more breadth. I wanted to respond to that look, to that expression, that nuance. And it was too late so frustrating on stage that doesn't happen it's there someone decides to do something different or they blank on their line or they have a costume malfunction there's no retaking it you've got to work with it in the moment and that's that's very challenging very very
0: challenging both
1: are challenging it's all different
0: okay that's that's i didn't expect to hear that that's um you, you we all I, I'm used to sitting in this chair hearing stories about uh, uh, people who you know are are committed to giving their all to the other player that's in the room, to making sure that that that, that player. It's like almost like a game of tennis, or another, or something perhaps yeah. another game that's more elaborate. Um, but I think this may be the first time where I've heard where someone uh, was was working with someone else who had saved so much for another another moment that they couldn't access with them because their part had already been done
1: it was frustrating but in their defense they were a film actor okay and i think they that's the way they worked. they just saved it all for them um uh and i don't think it was meant as any they weren't setting me up for failure i just thought oh i know i could have responded to that yeah you know what i mean so of course um, I, and other, and I, I actually worked with that actor before on another TV, a mini-series, and, uh, and hadn't experienced that. It was just in that one. That was very frustrating. It's frustrating to leave and go home with that and think, oh, that was out of my control so completely. However, um, uh, generally, I absolutely agree with, with all the actors that have said, you really do. It's a collaborative effort. And it's not just a collaboration with other actors. It's a collaboration with the DP, hair, makeup, wardrobe um props department uh continuity it's it's all it's all going on and that's one of the best things about working as an actor is the collaboration i did do a one woman show on stage once and it was so lonely it was so taxing so taxing just being on my own with a stage manager and me that was it um what was the project uh, it was an important it was uh it was called lorelei and it was uh it it was really showcasing the journey of a woman who had successfully, successfully fought to save the life or get the um, the pedophile that had murdered her son off death row in America. So it was an anti-capital punishment piece, and that was taxing. And yes, I learned a lot about myself, because at the end of the day, you think, okay, as as as, as ethical as ethics ethics aside, or, or when you're so diving into the ethics of that situation, if it was my child and how brave and admirable that woman was and, um, uh, and how so much empathy she showed forgiveness. She showed in mm-hmm. a way she hadn't forgiven him, but she believed her six year old son would have, and she didn't want anyone dying in her son's la- name because she believes that's what her son would want.
0: Is this a true story or is this oh, fiction? It's a bit
1: heavy. It's a true story. Wow. It's a true story. And it's, uh, and she did successfully fight for his life, and she got him off their throw and the poor fellow is of course extremely sick and ill, but I feel my empathy is with her, and i i um I'm full of admiration for her
0: Wow, that's I can't imagine I can yeah. only imagine none of us accessing a part of myself to go down that emotional road <laughs> yes. in front yeah. of an audience one or two times. A day for six, seven, eight performances a week. You know, how long did you do that role?
1: Well I did it actually, I we actually I I haven't worked in Australia much, but that was uh premiered in Melbourne. It wow. went to London and it went to Sydney and it also was a radio play um wow. in for the BBC. So it was I it was preaching to the converted because of course there's no capital punishment in the UK or Australia. Um but uh um yeah, it felt like it felt very important. It felt bigger than me. And my mantra was terrifying to do, absolutely terrifying to do. And I used to, I had a mantra before, before I performed, because I'd be shaking like a leaf. I'd say, um, This is bigger than me. This is her story. Tell it well. Do her justice. Mm-hmm. And, the, and do him, do the little boy. Jeremy was his name. Do them both, Lorelei and Jeremy, justice. Wow. Um, and so that, was, that made it easier in okay. a way to do.
0: Tell us how you uh, got involved in Stargate SG1. So, your your oh, first episode. So
1: my I, I think it was Corinne, uh, sorry, uh, Clark and Page casting, um, who were fabulous casting directors in uh, Vancouver. I think they cast me in all three of them. And then okay. maybe the, the executive producers must have liked me because to have been cast in, which is nice and very grateful to them. Um, just auditioning, auditioning in Van- Vancouver. Uh, when I moved to Vancouver from Los Angeles, I, I I'd already worked there before, and I'd already done a sci-fi series. In fact, my my first gig in my first few gigs in Vancouver were all I would be flown up as a guest star, or I did a, a series called The Sentinel years ago as a yeah. as a one of the leads, um, and I was. Always doing sci-fi. It just felt like it was the home of sci-fi. Every time I went there, I was doing sci-fi. And I did a lot of sci-fi in Vancouver. And I auditioned. The casting directors there are great. The community is great. Fabulous place to work. Uh, And it was through auditions.
0: That's how I got them. Okay. This is uh, an episode called Collateral Damage. It is... Really, one of the first stories to show off um, Ben Browder, our new lead in Stargate sg co-lead, if you will, if you will in Stargate SG-1, um, where we get an episode of that, that he can emotionally really sink his teeth into, and uh, over the, the the really crux of the story is that you have been murdered and we have to attach him to this device which can play back memories and they think that he was the one uh responsible um tell us about uh your journey though brief as uh as rea Veric.
1: well yeah i am bludgeoned to death right in the opening scene and and some memories have been planted in Ben Browder's character's uh, psyche that belong to my husband, mm. who has blundered me to death. But they Spoiler alert. The technology... <laughs> oh,
0: God. I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah, this is a long time ago. <laughs> right.
1: Ben, ben is from Little Rock, Arkansas, and so charming, and has the most exquisite accent that he has to cover up. He's got like a Clinton. I've worked with three actors from Little Rock, Arkansas, and his hands down, my favorite accent, North American accent. Just he sounds, um, he, he it just sounds very charming to me. He was so delightful and so handsome, and I remember him talking about what you were saying. I remember him saying how it was an emotional role for him. It was more meaty and fleshy, that he really had to tap into something on a deeper level. I, I recall that. Um and he was great to work with. It was early in the piece for him, wasn't it? He was quite new to the show. I remember that as well. Um, and Warren Kimmel played my dastardly husband. And um, yeah, it was uh, it was it was a great experience. I remember the bludgeon to death scene being shot at three a.m. It was so late. Whoa, that's late so for the late. show.
0: That's late for them to do that. Late Were they behind the or?
1: I think so because okay. that was unusual. That was really unusual. And and then what happened the next day? I was meant to go to Victoria. My mother-in-law was having a party, and uh, on the island in Vancouver. So I had we were taking a ferry at the crack of dawn, and I got lost driving home. So that was a that was a night of no sleep because I think we were shot that scene somewhere in Wasson or or maybe it was Richmond or something like that. I Took the wrong bridge. I wasn't I, anyway. That night was um, felt rough. <laughs> But this the scene shooting playing that character was a lot of fun.
0: Wow, that's craziness. Yeah. So that so the you, the last that, thing you did was I, die.
1: No, the, I, no. Yes, it was. They shot that last. <laughs> yeah, because I went to Victoria the next day. You're absolutely wow. right. They saved that to the end. And I did. I remember them saying we're going to be MOS, which means without sound. So you don't need to screen and and and. Because we did, put, I did. I remember doing ADR for it where I had to do <gasps> stuff on top of what I'd already done on the night. But in order to get, I just said, I'm just going to go for it. Yeah. That was another morning where I woke up with no voice.
0: Oh, gosh.
1: Screaming, bludgeoning, crawling along the ground. Um, it just helps you get there to just emote and vocalize.
0: Would you say that's your most violent d- death on film?
1: Oh, you know, there was one... What was the series where I got injected in my eyeball? Um, No, I was injected... Sorry, it wasn't injected in my... I was injected um, and so I was paralysed. But then they wanted the... cat, And this was also at 3 a.m. 3 a.m. in the morning, I'd been injected. It was... um, What's that um, thing called? Little... The Superman thing. Smallville. Littleville. Oh, Smallville. (laughs) And and when my... When my character dies, I'm Lex Luthor's secretary or something like that. Um, I that someone injects me, I'm paralyzed, and I, I can't remember how they actually kill me, but I know that the camera, the director wanted the camera to zoom in on my eyeball. So I don't know how you've ever if you've ever played dead, but not not blinking, uh-huh. Which you've got you know it felt like four hours, but it was only a few seconds. But I had to be paralyzed. Die, be suffocated, I think. Wow. And then have um, the camera pull around. But someone, a 13 year old kid, had taught me just about three months before how to win in a blinking game. How <laughs> <not> to blink. <laughs> and, the and things you can use professionally. The things you can use. So thank God, because it just, the raking shot, I mean, just moved around and zoomed in. And it took forever. Mm-hmm. And I had to keep my eye, of course. Sorry about this. Lost my thing. I had to. Uh, Keep my eyes
0: open and not blink. I always wonder. Uh, it's it's one of those pending YouTube searches that I want to, that I keep telling myself. Oh yeah, I need to look this up. How people hold their breath when they're in wide shots, but in tight shots, like that, like you're describing. I always think of Janet Lee in Psycho. You know that that's just because she had you. They were right on her, and she was 60 feet wide in that's the theater. Right. She has you're to absolute, look yeah, exactly yeah. dead. You know. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So Vacant. that's m- madness. Oxygenless, yeah, <laughs> and not going purple in the face. Right. You can, um, even even on on stage after a fight scene where you've got to lie on stage dead, you will see the the um, right. performer's chest and fall because they're actually exhausted. Yeah. But in, particularly if it's at the end of a fight scene, but you do you can control your breathing. Where you're breathing very slowly, so your chest isn't moving, and you're getting oxygen, and nothing's twitching.
0: Wow, just staying really shallow.
1: You slightly, yeah, exactly, slightly moving your eyes, but almost imperceptibly, so the muscle is still engaged, and you don't result in blinking.
0: Wow, the thing that you know, acting class, (laughs) right? Like maybe (laughs) David needs to go to acting acting class.
1: I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure a, a child taught me that trick. Album, <laughs> I've never been bitten. Uh, Blinking uh, competition, I cannot outlast anyone.
0: Oh, that's funny. Uh, tell us about Stargate Atlantis. So, at, season nine would have been season two of Esch, of of Atlantis, and then you you came in near the end of Atlantis in season five mm. as an artificial intelligence. Um, yeah, yeah. Those have been in the news a lot lately, but tell us about yes. um, uh, the Sakari uh, probe. Yes, I was a probe in oh, Atlantis. <laughs> <It's a>
1: probe <laughs> the bottom of the
0: ocean for much. millennia.
1: It, it is topical, though, isn't it? Yeah. The, thing of the survival of the And um, Robert Picardo, because I was just watching it last night, was saying, you know, you're going to sacrifice the potential life of billions of life forms that aren't us. And actually, I'm listening to it and thinking, yeah, because they're potential life form, but that this technology could benefit your family. So it was an ethical decision that he made. Correct. That I wonder how much the audience resonated with that and thinking an artificial intelligent, an artificially intelligent entity is putting him on, on judging him and putting him on trial for not making the most ethical decision. You're thinking, well, come on. This is a figment of his imagination. It's engineered to be that way. So I I don't remember thinking all these thoughts at the time when I was doing it. I was very much on team AI because (laughs) I was playing that character. So I was advocating for myself, but watching it as an audience, uh, uh, you know, with that removal, given what's going on with AI right now and the nervousness surrounding this incredible technology and, and the leaps and bounds in which it's moving forward, I actually thought, you know, maybe you want to take pause here and think, can you benefit from this technology? Do you really have to worry about life form um, that may or may not come into existence? I don't know. Mm. It was probably worthwhile, worthy of a, of a lengthier debate.
0: Mm -hmm. For sure. (laughs) You, you play one aspect of its personality. We get to the end of the episode and we find out that it's actually been influencing all of the stories.
1: Um, Yes. Yeah. It's a lovely twist.
0: Right. And you're the, you're the aspects uh, that's been interacting with, Robert Picardo as Woolsey. Um, Picardo's uh, first full season, only only full season of uh, Stargate. Uh, what was it like uh, uh, playing ac- playing across from him in his scenes?
1: Absolutely delightful. An incredibly generous actor. Very professional. Very prepared. Very warm and welcoming. It was. I, I remember clearly. It was because a lot of, it feels like so long ago, but working with him was a dream. Seriously, mm. seriously professional, charming actor. So that when I, um, and I, I was watching uh, the interaction between us and it was, mm. it was very easy for me to play that character because I was getting everything I needed back. Mm. And uh, it, was, it was a lovely communion working with him. Um, yeah, he's a pro, he's great and charming and fun to work with, it was great. Were you and I didn't know that Jason Jason Momoa was yes. <laughs> I, knew. Right. I just thought uh yeah, I didn't know about that.
0: Yeah, um, that's the thing, you know. The yeah. the uh uh people are I've I've continually shown this show to others and they're like, Oh, it's Aquaman. I'm like, Yes. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah You know, they all have to come from somewhere. <laughs> so.
1: yeah. it's, uh, well also I didn't know that um What's his name? Marsden. I'm uh, blanking on his first name, uh, who was in it as well as uh, a fabulous Scottish. I didn't get. Uh, uh, what's his name? James Marsden.
0: Oh, he's James in Marsden. Two. OK. Oh, he's,
1: in, he's in. Yeah, he's in uh, universe. I yes. didn't know that at the time, actually. Yeah. And. Um,
0: oh, you're. Uh, yeah, oh, oh so um, you're. you're I'm thinking of. I
1: jumped ahead of, to, the, to the universe.
0: The, uh, J- um, Brian, Brian Smith. I think that I think oh, that right, who you're thinking of. They look very similar.
1: His... Oh, that's fascinating to yeah. me. Yeah, because they I could be brothers. him up, and I should have. They. Oh, that's so interesting. Because I thought, is he really in this? Because he had sunglasses in, and it was in the the desert.
0: Correct. So it looks just, just like him, nose and everything. Yeah, Brian looks really close to. him. nose,
1: everything.
0: Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Oh, is that
1: the guy that's lying in bed, talking to my daughter or something yep. at the end of the? Uh,
0: Yep, that's Brian. But he
1: doesn't look a thing like him. <laughs> okay, uh, okay. Um, yes. Why that's are you talking funny. to me about this, David? <laughs> I come on here to learn about what I did. Yes, that's I'm I was working. blown Excellent. away
0: by the uh, the visual effects of that episode when the when the alien life form is is finally revealed. The true nature of of the Sakari people. Um, that show could do visuals. And I, I can only imagine what it was like being on set. Okay, stand here, and now we're going to transform you into this green leprechaun, you know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, see, we, that's all done in post. So right, stand there, and now I shall show my true form just for you, and locked on, Anna moves away, right. locked off, and post-production do their thing. So it's not, it's not very glamorous on set. But, you know, you do, I remember doing a show called Time Cop. Yeah. Where I was set in the time of Jack the Ripper. And there, I don't think the show was that successful. I think they only shot a few episodes. I don't know if it ever aired actually, but there was a time portal. And I was a Victorian, um, it was certainly a Victorian era. And I had to watch a time portal open up. And they hadn't given me any visual cues or anything like that. But I know what I imagined in my head in order to see that. And I love that. I love being given uh, challenges like that, where I have to absolutely just come up with it all on my own and help the audience see my the character's experience of what it is—the wonder, the majesty, the horror, whatever it is—help yeah. help get them there through my imagination. You have to have also. something
0: to chew on, so you can't just well, stand I, there I like, did, mm-hmm, you know.
1: No, well, it's great, but it was all in my head. I remember the director coming up to me afterwards and saying, "So, what did you see? um and i thought yeah now you want to know you want to discuss this with me beforehand but yeah it was uh it doesn't matter what i saw i think i saw something spiraling she was she was from the victorian era so i didn't make it too high tech (laughs) i didn't want to collapse collapse with horror um i just wanted her to be excited
0: absolutely Um, yeah you were mrs armstrong in uh, uh stargate universe uh you were um I don't believe ever, no, never on Destiny, but you were at, at uh, the receiving end of Elise Levesque's uh, phone calls as Chloe. Um, mm-hmm. What was it like creating a character who had lost her husband and her daughter all in mm-hmm. one go and mm-hmm. who had enough information that she could effectively potentially cripple the program if she wanted to? um she probably probably get herself wiped out in the process by revealing this to all of amer all of earth but still
1: that's right and she she makes that threat she says i'm i am close friends with the first lady and i'm i can communicate at any time with president and let the whole world know what's going on but i think um uh the actually the actor that i i was married to um i'd worked with him before oh christopher mcdonald we yeah, we'd worked in, in family law um, in L.A. a few years before, so it was fun. He was hysterical to work with, he was a very funny fellow. So it was fun to hook up with him again. Um, and say, I don't think we had any – did we have any scenes together? I don't, I don't believe that, so. I certainly saw him on set. No, I don't think so. But we saw each other. I think we had to pose for a family photo, so we got to yeah. work together. And I don't know if they ever used it, but we did do all that stuff. Um, and Elise is delightful. Really, I think I'd already, I, I hadn't worked with her before, but I think I already knew who she was. I just created in my mind um, a very tight family that I believe she'd grown, She'd her married life had been in that sphere and that realm. There is no way, I don't think for one minute she was ever going to betray her, her husband's work and commitment and she just wanted to make sure that they were doing everything that they could. I think she'd... Um, I, 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 if you're asking, I don't believe, I don't think from when I was playing the character that I ever thought for one minute that she would actually cause alarm and terror to the world. It was mm-hmm. a threat. It wasn't an idle threat. It was kind of an idle threat because she, I, I, think, um, I think she'd almost given up hope. And she was, I think in one of the other subsequent scenes, she's actually saying to her daughter, if this is the only way through the stones, if this is the only way I get to speak to you, then I'll take it.
0: Right. You're not even seeing her, you know, Mm. not seeing her face, not hearing her voice.
1: And they kept us together whenever once uh, after the initially meet. In fact, the whole time I'm looking at her, they uh, had chosen to just have me looking at Elise, at Chloe. Yeah. Which shows how much I could see the soul of the essence of my daughter and how much of a mother I was. I think it was very maternal. um, And so and not particularly Machiavellian. So I, I just played it. It felt David, to answer your question, it felt like a drama. It didn't there didn't feel very sci-fi. Because my character is, is only at the very beginning Chloe's saying, This is me, it's me. I don't seem to doubt it. I know she looks different and I say it's troubling when I'm drinking the scotch and all the rest of it. I'm saying I'm having difficulty. Really, I'm just predicting that there's I'm um, about to be given some horrific news. And it feel, felt very much like a drama doing uh universe rather than a sci-fi. Except there was an episode. Isn't there an episode where I see Chloe in a water tank? Oh, I'm in her dream.
0: You're in her imagination. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I'm in her imagination. So that felt sci-fi. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> yeah. That's cr-
0: the um the thing that I love about Universe is that it it is so much more grounded in reality. And some people re- resented that. Mm-hmm. I I loved it because it just it felt. It felt more like real life, and the the people felt more like you could reach out and touch them, um, yeah. whereas SG One in Atlantis felt further away, just by the nature of mm-hmm. of the storytelling and by how it mm-hmm. was shot. Uh, I I, it, I could see that it felt, you know, you could feel like it was like a uh, like a domestic series, you know, and but mm-hmm. then the elements that that they bled that they that they pulled into it from the Outer reaches of the universe, I think, were all the more compelling as, as a result. There's been a lot of back and forth in in my particular fandom about Earth-based episodes and interplanetary episodes. And not everyone likes mm. both. But this show is a real melding of that because that was the only, their only way to get back home was through these devices to, to communicate yeah, yeah. with their loved ones. And you know, I thought it was a great evolution of the stories of the show because they had advanced that – they had created that technology two series ago and we're now using it in this one. It was ah. great storytellers. Oh, I
1: didn't know that. Uh-huh. It's a fantastic device, I, yeah. I think. And I did, so would, in, in your opinion, was it unpopular, an unpopular device?
0: Be- in, in in the show, it was because, in SGU, it was because it took more a domestic take on the characters rather than mm-hmm. the fantastical take mm-hmm. on the characters. Yes.
1: Instead right, yeah. the, of, like, course. at SG-1. home and back into reality.
0: Right. Instead of, at S- like, a, on SG-1, they would, you know, get into their cars at Cheyenne Mountain and drive home and deal with, you know, my dad who has cancer. You know, they'd have to plug into these devices to connect with home and deal with... You know, mother who's just lost her husband. But I think that that's how the juxtaposition between the two is what makes it so relatable. Is because they're not locked away mm-hmm. in the twenty fourth century on some ship. Mm-hmm. They're mm-hmm. relatable, flawed human beings who haven't, you know, uh, figured out all of their their weird human issues yet. And they're in the here and now, and that's what makes Stargate what Stargate is.
1: And more, more accessible, I suppose. And Correct. was it, in in your opinion? <laughs> no, I'm interviewing you. Do you think that was an evolution of the series, of yeah. the whole franchise, that it just became more sophisticated? And th- uh,
0: that's an advantage and, and and of more just more accessible
1: con- at the same time.
0: Right. That well, the, the sophistication part is just the the advantage of them having done you know 15 seasons of television before they had gotten to universe. Um, the the other art part of it was that Brad and Rob wanted to do something different. You know, they had they had done a more action oriented show and they were they were wanting to do something a little bit more drama focused and and gritty and real. Um, And not everyone can just turn on a dime and follow that. You know, a lot of fans have discovered SGU since and have fallen in love with it. And a lot just are are, not a lot, but some are just like this one is just not this one is just not for me. So
1: it's not for me. Right. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I wonder
1: if Rob was cutting his teeth on drama in Preparation for Unspeakable.
0: One thing leads to another, for sure. Yeah. What a great mini-series. Tell us about um, getting involved as Dr. Matthews uh in Unspeakable, which is about the the tainted blood scandal mm-hmm. in Canada uh during the AIDS crisis.
1: Yeah, uh, which I was not aware of. And um I was just asking my sister-in-law about it just before this interview, saying, were you, because uh, she was studying medicine at the time. Well, not really, because the tainted blood scandal maybe started in the 70s, did it? And bleed through to the 80s, all yeah. the way through. So she would have been a kid in the 70s. But I was just asking if she was familiar with it, and to some extent she was, but not really. And I was ignorant of it. I was horrified. So when was When the conditions I. came up. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was quite startling and affronting, and... Um, I read for the role and when I was cast in it, I had access to reading all the scripts, the entire miniseries, and I was gutted by it. I was just, so I felt, it felt like a privilege. I'm um, not only had I worked with, because Rob Cooper has, it's very personal for him because of his own experience and he'd, um, it was his production, his passion project. Um, I, we, that felt like a privilege too, to work with an auteur who's put everything behind something to be part of that that collaboration it and the actors that i worked with and i knew lots of people in the cast um the scenes most of the scenes i was uh, some of the scenes i was in anyway were shot in komox on the island and going over on the ferry i was with a group of other actors all of whom i knew and i'd worked with before theater and film and tv actors he cast it with a lot of the A-list canadian um Vancouver-based actors, which was exciting to work with all of them, and um, yeah, I thought it was. And to talk with him on set about it, it's pretty gut wrenching and and inconceivable actually that so in such near so, such recent history that something so diabolical took place.
0: I remember watching it uh, in early. Well, I guess this was. I'm not sure if this was 2020 or 2021 at this point. I think it was early. Uh, like just, I think it was just after um, COVID had really got going, and this was around May or June. Um, no, no, it had to have been 2021. I apologize. And uh, <laughs> the scene in the market where the 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 mom and child are in the marketplace. I'm assuming you've watched it, and the uh, the child is is touching the fruit, and there's someone else who's freaking out, saying. Um, uh, that knowing that he's he's potentially a carrier and saying what what are you doing just walking around letting him touch everything yeah yeah and n- experiencing that and experiencing what we were at that point dealing with covid mm-hmm. um the juxtaposition between the two i could absolutely see crystal clear both sides of that argument and like okay, right, this, this is a, right. this is a child not a bomb but at the yeah, same yeah. time you know the the ignorant in that particular situation, it's a situation of ignorance. ignorance. He he's not you know going to hurt anyone. But then ex- with the COVID experience that I was having it was like wow that it hit me really deep. Uh mm-hmm, And getting mm-hmm. to talk with Robert about that was was really really something. Let me tell you. So just was so-
1: that scene actually autobiographical or not? Did I you don't ask know.
0: I wouldn't be surprised mm-hmm. if he experienced something yeah. like that. I don't know. He's he keeps it pretty vague as as to what specific mm-hmm. stories uh, he experienced and those that he's telling because he's telling a, a story from a broader group of of related experiences mm-hmm. by people. I'm sure that that happened.
1: So many people,
0: right? I, yeah. I I don't think that he would have have shared an incident if that incident hadn't occurred at some point somewhere. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if it is. Mm-hmm. so it's just a really wild.
1: important story to, to tell and i really admire him and everyone involved actually for telling that story so important and yeah. and yeah it's interesting you so you wrote it during you sorry you watched it during covid mm-hmm. um yeah i watched when we just gone into lockdown in march of 2020 i started watching uh i think a lot of people started watching this series on the black death um that was out of um, Purdue University in America, a really uh, fabulous professor of history, had this fascinating uh, 30 episode thing on the Black Death. And it, it was recorded in 2015. In the beginning, she says, you may think, why do we need to delve into the history of a pandemic that happened hundreds of years ago? But you never know how this history may inform us. Should we be victim, fall victim to a pandemic in the future? It is possible. And we don't start life in a vacuum. How important it is to have history on our side. So um, telling yes, it's these stories have to be told. Mm-hmm. They have to be told.
0: Absolutely. What are um... Uh, anything uh, in the uh, uh, recent past or present that that you're working on that you want to share? What uh, what's what's in store uh, for your future we, besides since, the beach?
1: Since... The beach, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so the I have come in here. I have been running a speech and drama school. Um, oh. I'm very much focused on helping uh, kids with communication skills and adults too, but but kids is well, in more more generally children. And I wanted to try and create an online version of it, which is going to be really tricky and taxing and might be uh, an embarrassing flop, but that's the project I'm, I thought, Oh, I can do that from here. So okay. I'm going to try and do that. So I'm still administering and still coaching students online and helping running the school that's in Vancouver. But, um, and I still do audition. And I, uh, the last work I, I did was a film called Crimson Point and a series called Van Helsing. Yep. Um and uh, that feels like a long time ago. I didn't wait. The Van Helsing was the only camera work I did during the pandemic. Wearing masks and so bizarre on set, safety goggles, masks. Yeah, and I you had to just, make it work. You just couldn't see anyone's faces. And then suddenly the cameras are rolling and the actors, please take off your goggles and mask. And your, everyone around you is hyper protected and suddenly you're this naked, and there were very few background actors, um, no cuddling or kissing or uh, if you, to show affection, they'd find another way to be done with a look um, in your close-up and the other actor would be far away. Uh, very interesting and challenging and that, not a fun challenge. That's the least interesting challenge, to be talking to a director through two 15 layers that so can barely see their expression um, and then to rehearse in goggles and masks and uh yeah not fun i'm not complaining i felt blessed to have work right and uh however yeah
0: i would imagine though pulling nice. it off okay makeup come in touch up and now go you know i, I bet that would have been a lot of that
1: <laughs> a lot of that and and just not fun that's yeah. not you know it's just it it's too restrictive it's um yeah but you gotta do what but you, you can get do. through
0: it you know so absolutely uh, I have a few fan questions for you. Um, Gate Gabber says, I-, I love your portrayal of Inspector Megan Connor in The Sentinel. That series was famously uh-huh. canceled and then brought back for a final short season by mm-hmm. a successful campaign. Yes. What was it like for the cast going through all of that?
1: Oh, my God. Well, you've just given me goosebumps because the fans of that show were hardcore and they brought the series back. I just... That was, good. so thank you, Gate Gabba. Um, If you were a part of that movement, that was awe-inspiring. I mean, yeah, there was, uh, we felt well-loved, well-supported. I don't think, I was pretty new in the series. The guys were what everyone really loved. They've been there since the start. Um, Richard Berge and, and Garrett as well, Maggot. And uh, I joined in the second last season and then was in a few episodes of the ultimate i was in the penultimate and ultimate season so much fun incredible fan base and we felt very grateful wow they moved a mountain
0: yes you know the uh i don't think anyone can can underestimate the power of an audience uh you know if if they really want something they're going to get it there's a there's a a series very akin to lost um that's airing its final season right now on netflix it's something to do it's it's an airplane series i keep forgetting the name of it but oh
1: yeah the passenger, I, not pa- passenger is it passengers called, um, flight or flight plan or something it's something along those about. lines yeah yeah and yes, i'm looking
0: forward yes. to finishing that that story because you know i wasn't going to go On and watch it had they not finished it what
1: is it called manifest
0: manifest something you got it well done. Uh,
1: haven't watched it yet.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing it. Um, but you can never a- anticipate how a-, a show is going to be received and canceling it beforehand is not always the right call. So some some of no. these do need to be put down. Let's let's be perfectly honest. But others it's like <laughs> there there's an audience there that wants to see the the finished product. Yeah. So that's cool.
1: Yeah.
0: Lock Watcher and I, I... go ahead. No, no, go on. Yeah, Lock Watcher and the one with the many Z's says uh, you played in Stargate, uh, all three. Uh, were there any differences in working with the cast and crew from from each of these? Each of these, anything unique about the the, the each different series as you had mm. come in that you well, can think yeah. of?
1: Um, uh, Michael Michael Blundell was uh, the DP on yes. two of them, I believe. Which which
0: two? Mike Blundell probably it, was in the second two.
1: And I, Stargate Atlantis, felt different because it was there was nothing on location. It was all in a set because you're in Atlantis. Yeah, the so last two shows. That. I remember, yeah, that felt quite um, universe. I was on. I remember going in a. Uh, you know, my character had a lot of money, so we were shooting in First Shaughnessy, which is the Beverly Hills of. of Vancouver in a massive house um, for and then on set as well um, so Atlantis felt different because it was all on set it was all um, in studio and uh, whereas collateral damage that was that was also shot in houses and backyards and um, that and yeah interiors I don't remember being on on in a studio at mm-hmm. all for that one. So they did feel quite... They did feel different from each other. To speak to your point before, David, uh, Universe felt very different because it was dramatic and um, accessible and relatable and sort of less Mm -hmm. Uh, sci-fi. And And Atlantis felt more progressively dramatic because because also Atlantis, for me, was a lovely character to play. There was a lovely... uh, journey for the character to go on there because I was deceiving him, but but playing someone so kind and warm, and then you discover I'm artificial intelligence.
0: Mm-hmm. There's a lot favorite, to mine from that character, yeah, really. I is. mean, she yeah. is she is an ambassador for a civilization, so you have to <laughs> yeah. you have to give her a certain amount of a certain amount of slack for when she makes a decision because it's like, oh, oh yeah, you know, she's this is not oh, yeah. this is not a self centered choice. This is one no, no, on no, the, on no. done being done on the part of a whole society that could be boring. So very she's interesting. Also take.
1: Saying, that's, that's her MO. That's all her purpose. That's all she's got. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Crazy. Teresa MC, uh, do you personally prefer drama or comedy as a performer?
1: Oh, drama is so much easier than comedy. Comedy is fabulous when it works. It's, really hard comedy i don't think i'm i have done a bit of comedy and i've done comedy on stage and on camera and uh it can be the most rewarding when it works because it's so much fun and who doesn't want to make people laugh right drama is much easier much much easier yeah timing timing the material's got to be good you've got to be talented you've got to have someone to play off there's so many things that could make the joke fall flat the yeah. editing—it's out of your control. In um, comedy, is, is the trickiest of all.
0: Comedy is much quicker, I would imagine. With drama, you have to suck someone in, and, and pray that you're interesting enough to you know get them in, to invite or them on both. a journey with you.
1: Yes, you've got to be captivating, uh, and you do, um, and sometimes you're not in control of everything, and you just have—that's part of the collaborative side of it that you've to some extent you've got to relinquish control over the impact you're having on the audience you've, your job yes you try to be captivating be genuine be funny if it's a comedy and be real always on camera even when you're doing comedy um it's still rooted in you've got to believe the stakes are higher in some ways but it's still real
0: right absolutely won't work uh you've 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 talked about a lot about um uh, uh real life adaptations of things that you've done from, from events from real life? And um, of course, everything else from that is fiction. Uh, is, there a, is there a different weight to them? Or as a performer, do you take mm. them the same way? Or is it more like, you know, this, this actually occurred in the back of your mind when oh, you're right. executing that's one a, that has? Great...
1: I think that's a great question. I actually feel um, a sense of purpose and responsibility when it's real. And if it's a if it's a controversial topic, as as Lorelei was, or and also and then something as as tragic and important that it must never be repeated as unspeakable, I you feel it's not a burden; it's a responsibility. And so I think uh, they do feel different. Wow. Fiction, you have uh, more breadth to play. Sure. where I I just feel like I I feel a responsibility in wow. um, when it's real.
0: And finally, Alex Kilpatrick, you've you've had a chance to work on a number of different sci fi spaces. Um, Having played multiple characters in various different genres. um, What's your favorite thing about sci fi?
1: I, I did everything. What comes to mind is playing Draka in Warcraft. I just love mm. the escapism of performance capture, the freedom to not worry about my hair and what my face looked like, how many wrinkles were showing, how many freckles were showing, how much weight I'd put. Do you know what I mean? It was all about the performance. And, uh, and then however they wanted to make me look, I was free of all of that. They used my face and my musculature and my expressions and layered a character on me. So it's still me. I, I would say um, that that's my, that sci-fi to be able to do that. Um, oh, well, you know, that genre is actually fantasy genre. I'm, I mean,
0: it's still be, in the same ballpark. That,
1: well, yeah. It's, it's, I remember in an interview, Toby Kebble, who who was, uh, um, I was working alongside saying it's not, it's not sci-fi, it's fantasy, but, um, and he's, He's right, but I sci-fi for the same thing. Uh-huh. Just the, also the realm of potential. If, if, talking about AI, of uh-huh. let's explore this, and they were doing that decades ago. I think, and I think it's good to explore potential and positive story, p- possible possibilities. So sci-fi allows us to do that. Think outside the box, go big and bold, drama, theatre, while keeping it real and relatable is a big part of what I love about my job. And sci-fi gives you that On a grand
0: scale. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pamela asks uh, very last minute here. Uh, she she loved Tin Man. Uh, how was it? How was oh, yeah. it being in that uh, miniseries? And I don't know what this that means. Is. But why wasn't the character you played uh, given a real name? I don't. Do you do you know what that means?
1: Lavender Eyes. Yeah, I was called Lavender i love your question pamela i asked the same question myself that director i'd actually worked with on a commercial in in london years before one of my first gigs um and uh and we didn't recognize each other's names when he cast me in the role um i remember him walking up he wanted to meet me at my house i'd I had to fly back from australia actually to play that role and i remember him walking up the garden path at the front and i was standing at the window we both looked at each other and went. So um, we recognized each other, um, and Nick Willing, I believe, and he said something about my eyes and was looking at my eyes. with one of the first things out of his mouth. And I said, yeah, because that's my name, right? Do I have another name? I remember, I remember asking that. I don't remember what his response was. It was all about the lavender eyes. And the contact lenses that they put in my eyes, I have blue eyes that made them look more violet. Uhhuh. I don't know what happened to the substance on the contact lenses. By by the last few scenes we were shooting, my eyes were looking very much blue and not violet. So I don't know where that color went. I
0: wonder you know, if it evaporated.
1: Was not, ugh. Anyway, um, wow. it's in my body somewhere, it was. But yeah, that was <laughs> great. Working with uh, um, Alan Cumming was. Oh, yes. Yeah. He's, Yeah. He's one of the funniest people I've ever worked with. And I remember he would be having me in speeches laughing so hard. Camera, rolling, action, all the rest of it. And uh, he would just turn it off. And usually I can turn it off. But with Alan Cumming, I I must admit, I shamed myself a couple of times on set because I was just crying with laughter.
0: You can't anticipate that everyone else can cool down as quickly as you can. I mean, the musculature in your face, you know, you're redder and...
1: Normally, I know, and tears in my eyes. Normally I could, but I must say he was a challenge in that regard, but so delightful to work with. Zoe Dashnell and Kathleen yes. Roberts. Um, yeah, it was a bit mortifying to be playing uh, the mother of a 26-year-old and 32-year-old when I was, I was, oh, wasn't that much older than them, but um, old enough, I suppose. Uh, <laughs> but they were great to work with too. It was, um, and Neil McDonough was in that. Yes, and, he was. Uh, it was great.
0: Yeah. That's really yeah, good. That was that I, I remember when that miniseries came out, and it, uh, it it was it was a big deal. So that's really cool. So Anna. Well,
1: the costumes and the hair. Oh, you're going to say Brian? Yeah, the, no. Please
0: finish finish your thought on that. It was it was an outrageous well, miniseries. Really well done.
1: I, w- I will say, uh, when I first got into acting, I wanted to do BC period dramas. I've done a lot of sci-fi and not a lot of period drama, and that. Gave me an opportunity to wear, much as corsets are very uncomfortable and the stiff garb and the wigs were very heavy, and I had a thousand pins in my hair, head at any time. I love doing period stuff. I just, uh, that was a British accent I think I was doing then and playing a, a queen, a noble character, and it's fun. You know, that's what I was doing when I was a little girl, dressing up in my mum's clothes and stomping around satin high heels and, and with feather boas and pretending I was otherworldly but also noble or majestic or something powerful. So, yeah. Absolutely. And I, so you
0: <laughs> and I want to finish on the thought that you and I started with, that I, I figured I, we would get into at some point in the interview and we didn't bring it up, your accent being utilized on Stargate.
1: Yes, that's right, because we discussed it before we went live. Um, that was a, a treat to to be reminded in the links that David sent Um that i was using my natural accent on two of the the series i've only used my natural accent about five times in my career so uh, i'm very grateful to stargate for allowing me twice to be australian
0: awesome gotta represent the aussies
1: that's another well that's another good thing about sci-fi anything's possible Mm
0: -hmm. yeah absolutely there have been many circumstances where you know people have have come on and there are uh i know um Uh, janina gavankar she's she's indian and her her character dusty on atlantis i can't remember her last name it was something much more western and they changed it to Mera once she got the the character because they she's like they made me indian because i'm indian and it's it's those (laughs) little nods that production um can can do before it goes to goes to scene it's like well this is incorporate a little bit more of that of that person's background into the performance you know as much as you can let's
1: use it to our advantage why not
0: yep absolutely anna this has been a treat to have you and i i'm I'm so glad we were able to reschedule and sit down with you i'm so glad you're in the sunshine and it's beautiful there get (laughs) away from the dreary (laughs) north america So this, is, this I, has I been great.
1: I love, I love winter in North America, but it just goes on for a bit long in Vancouver. So it is a bit of a treat. Thank you, David. Thank you for rescheduling. My apologies again. And thanks oh, for your you're patience. Good. And it was such a pleasure. It was really great. Thank you, everyone, for listening in.
0: Yes, thank you. You take care of yourself. I'm going to go ahead and wrap up the show on this end.
1: Okay, thank you so much.
0: Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Anna Galvin, everyone from uh, Stargate SG One, Atlantis, and Universe—her uh, three different parts—absolute treat to have her on. And I appreciate you tuning in. This is this is um, uh, the the latest episode that we've uh, done during the day. So I appreciate my my European audience who's who stayed up to watch. Uh, and uh, thanks to everyone who has uh, has made this episode possible. My appreciation goes out to uh, Anthony. And to uh, Tracy, uh, the mod team, for making this one happen, as well as Summer, Jeremy, and uh, Reese. To my producer, Linda Gate Gabber Fury, and uh, to Frederick Marcoux at Concepts Web, who keeps uh, dialthegate.com. Up and running. Uh, If you enjoyed this episode, please uh, consider giving us a like and uh, sharing this with a Stargate friend. We've got uh, quite the lineup coming. Uh, This week we have uh, Tor Alexander Valenza, writer and story editor of Stargate SG1, joining us Wednesday, February the 27th. Uh, next uh, weekend, we have actor and Asgard puppeteer Morris Chapdelaine and actor Glennis Davies uh, for her uh, roles as Catherine Langford in SG-1 and as Eli's mother in Universe, another person at the other end of the stones. Uh, and I'm pleased and privileged to announce that Google's AI lead advocate, uh, Lawrence Moroni is going to be joining uh, myself and Robert C. Cooper for a discussion on Stargate and artificial intelligence, Saturday, March the 11th, a little bit, uh, a little bit less than a month from now. Followed that same day by an experimental episode, Jack O'Neill AI chatbot Q and A. You can tune in live and ask Jack a question. Uh, I've been working with uh, Evie Cahill on this uh, interface, and I think we're ready to go. So, if you want to talk to Jack. an AI chatbot of him. Join us live on March the 11th at 2 p.m. Pacific time. We're going to uh, do our best to make that uh, happen. The the time actually may change. I'm just putting a out there to make this uh, to make a, uh, it possible for us to to start begin the process of scheduling it. She and I, ninety five percent her, uh, have been working on a, uh, a chat bot uh, based on Jack and getting the personality and everything else out. Uh, so this is going to be very interesting. Let me just put it that way. Uh, thanks again to Anna Galvin for joining us this episode. I appreciate everyone out there for continuing to uh, uh, share the show. And uh, my name is David Reed for Dial the Gate, and I'll see you on the other side. Dial the Gate is hosted and executive produced by David Reed. The producer is Darren Sumner, co-produced by Linda Fury. The composer is Neil Acre. Animations by Bryce Orrs. The production assistant is Jennifer Kirby. Moderators include Summer Roy, Keith Hommel, Tracy Noller, Jeremy Heiner, Reese M., and Anthony Rowling. Logo designed by Deborah J. Bell. Additional effects by Thomas Tots, with contributions by model makers Chris Baker, Stephen Barr, Kevin Zabo, and Tom Paris. The archivists are Linda Fury, Zachary Adams, and Fred Eric Marcoux. For general inquiries for submissions, please contact us at dialthegateshow at gmail.com. Visit our website for the upcoming schedule, as well as an archive of our past episodes, at dialthegate.com.